Good morning, afternoon, evening, uh, dusk, dawn, wherever you find yourself at present. I today am grateful for smoothies, the road, the modern road, uh, coffee, and uh, diner cups. I'm really grateful for diner cups. If you don't know what I'm talking about, they're uh, just barely curved in the middle and you get them at a you know a Denny's or a one of your local diners mom and pop shop and something about those cups not only do they just feel indestructible they're they're the perfect vestibule for some hot morning coffee in my case it's about 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time that I'm drinking coffee today's a double episode with Grace and Melissa, both who worked on Pin 15. Grace was the production designer. Melissa worked on the costumes. I was gifted a tremendous amount of insight from these two, and I found myself laughing and feeling open and comfortable and uh, really content and joyful amid these conversations, and I'm so thankful for that. Before we get into that, I, I'd like to tell a story of something that happened to me recently. I had a day with nothing, not much to do. And so I decided to take a trip to northern Michigan. I'm currently, I'd say, towards the middle of Michigan, uh, more towards the east side. And I wanted to take a trip to a forest. And I've done quite a bit of foraging. I, I did a, a decent amount this summer where I was. I went to the UP. I um, found a couple of really nice spots around the state. I went all the way to the the coast on the west. Uh, Sleeping Bear Dunes is a wonderful spot. So I was just in the mood for a forest. But the thing is, when I went, this is a week ago. There wasn't much snow where I am, so I was interested in finding kind of some more snow. But I didn't want to drive too far. So I found this place called the Al Sable State Forest. Sounded good to me. It was on a list of uh, places where you can find old growth trees. Uh, the only other one that I think I've seen in Michigan is Hardwick Pine State Park, which is about an hour southeast from the Al Sable State Forest, a little bit, a little bit above the middle of the state. So I went to Al Sable, just mapped it straight up. And I'm, I'm just driving. It's about a two-hour drive from where I'm at. And I make it there smack dab. I've gone down several roads. It's extremely snowy now. Uh, probably, probably, in a, it's snowy. It's snowy enough that um, my boots were helpful, <laughs> I'll say. So I went down a few roads. It was getting a little sketchy. It was, it was clear that a snowplow had not been interested in this area for a while so I'm expecting some sort of like park opening or parking lot or recreation passport center that sort of thing as a lot of the other parks have and I come to find none of that and I, I just I just stumble upon a few houses some nice looking houses call them out there and it says that I arrived and I look over and sure enough there's a forest um, but there's really no inclination for me as to how I'm going to get in there, if I should be going in there. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe, maybe this isn't the best. So I turn around in this dead-end road. 
uh, where these nice folks live. I assume they're nice folks. And I, I then just start driving back, um, waiting to get service so I can find something else. Once I do that, I, I come across um, a place within the forest, and it's the, the Ross Common Red Pines Natural Area. So this is an actual place with signs and uh, a trail that's been determined. There are maps, the whole bit. So I'm, I'm pretty excited, you can imagine. I've got another 30 minutes east. I'm listening to um, some classical music, some Conan O'Brien podcast. He has an episode with Fred Armisen that I really thoroughly enjoyed. Fred is seemingly a really gentle guy, and, and he's super strange. And Conan, I, I haven't spent much time with his podcast, so uh, hearing him in that way was really interesting because he's still got his erratic sort of quick wit, but he chills out, and and I really enjoyed that. So I'm, I'm just trucking along, and I, I finally make it there, and uh, I pull in, and I see one of these signs that I see all over in, in northern Michigan, and it says seasonal trail, which means that the county does not plow this trail. Uh, it's it's uh, taken care of by a different department, and the, this department is presently not interested due to the weather. Um, so I find out later on in the story here, that this is the snowiest part of Michigan at the moment, uh, in, in the Lower Peninsula, I believe. So there's a lot of snow here, uh, several feet of snow. So I pull in, and I'm thinking, all right, I've got a regular car. It's just a hatchback. There's no snow tires. It's not a truck. It's not equipped for this sort of thing. So I decide to park my car and just hoof it, maybe leave the leave the car at the entrance. So I, I do that, park the car, lock it, start walking. It's gorgeous, by the way. All the trees, the the transition from where I'm from, driving up there, really just just left me breathless. Uh, it looked like how Christmas morning looked here. There was snow and ice on every single branch, and the sky was just a little foggy. Um, really bright, <laughs> a really bright day. It ended up giving me a headache, but one a headache that I'm grateful for. So I start walking down this trail, and I turn back, and it's just not it's not a pretty sight. My car just sitting there on a, on a busy, not a busy road, but it's a highway. It's a highway road. So I'm like, okay, maybe I shouldn't do that because I don't know anything about this place. So I get back in the car. I'm looking at the ground and I'm thinking, what's interesting is uh, this entire time I know that it's, I don't, I don't like getting stuck on the word certainty, but it's definitely a, a very powerful likelihood in this world that I'm living in that my car is going to get stuck if I drive it down this road. That's just floating around back there. But I'm feeling very uh, present and equanimous. So I'm not super pressed. I, I didn't feel any stress or anxiety about it. I was just I was just allowing it to be one of the possibilities. Though it was saying, hey, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty big possibility. Pay attention to me. So I get in the car and I just start driving. By the way, this is a one-way road is not a wide road and it has not really been plowed and I'm I'm doing just fine for a good 0.2 miles my car is just moving along and then this really big truck uh, passes me by and that's where I start to feel just a little bit of insecurity in my car I'm like okay because I can just barely let this guy get past me I'm kind of stuck in the snow while passing him and they're looking at me I don't know what they were thinking but they, they could have been thinking many things that were probably similar to what I was thinking, which was, uh, there be dragons here. <laughs> so 
So I keep driving, and I finally find a sign, and it's like the, the parking area. It says recreation passport required. I'm like, okay, right on. People wrote these signs, and they placed them here. That's good news for me. I keep driving, and now it's at the point where the snow is, like, deep. Um, it's at the point where my car's uh, wheels are saying, hey, man, you got to cut it out. Like, we can't, we didn't prepare for this. So I'm just smiling, and I'm like, it's like something's, you know, I could get out. I couldn't get out. I don't know. We'll see what happens. So I, I then decide to turn around, and I'm thinking, okay, so I can either go in reverse for 0.4 miles to get out of this joint, or I can try to turn around. Um, and to this day, I don't, I'm not really interested in even finding out what I was thinking at the time. I was just doing it. I was, I was the car at the moment, uh, a bit naive, a little green and, uh, excited, you know, just over, overall excited. So I back up and I try to pull into the spot and what do you know, my car gets stuck immediately. Um, and I just start, I just start laughing cause I'm like, yeah, there you go. That seems about right. Uh, and so I get out. I'm trying to put traction down. I'm trying to dig the snow out. I'm putting it in, in neutral and pushing it. I'm doing everything that I have equipped uh, to do. But I just know that it's it's not looking pretty. Snow's coming down, though. And it is just gorgeous all around me. So I'm taking my breaths and I'm looking around and appreciating it. Ate the uh, other half of a chicken wrap that I had. Some plant-based chicken. That was a nice little uh, break. Then this fella uh, starts, he's parked near me. He's leaving on a snowmobile. And he looks at me and he basically gives me like a thumbs up like, you good? And again, don't know why, but I just gave him a peace sign. And I was like, yeah, you, you know, be on your way, man. I'm all right. I'll figure it out. I, w I was not. I didn't. But he, he left. So then I'm just sitting there for a while, and then I'm like, okay, this is an issue that's probably going to require other bodies. So then this other fellow comes by in a snowmobile. Uh, he shows up as I'm on the phone with 911, who I told was, it was not an emergency. And they they were basically saying, okay, we can refer you to some spots that can help you get towed out. And this guy showed up while I was on the phone with them. And so they were like, just see if he can help you. If he can't help you, you know, give us a call back. So I did that. That guy tried to dig me out. He tried pushing me. We did it all. And again, to no avail. Just stuck like a stick in the mud, you know. So he leaves. I'm like, thanks, man. You know, I appreciate you. It was nice, nice spending time with you regardless. So I call him back. They refer me to a towing place. I call the towing place. Super rad guy says, I'll be right out. I'm like, okay. Luckily, I have lots of service out here. I don't know why. I don't know what they got going on, but really great service in this area. So then the snowmobile guy comes back. He's got a really big truck and a really big trailer attached to it that he had the snowmobile in. He comes back and he's like, "What's going on, man?" You know, I'm just I'm just letting him know the vibes, just letting him know what's happening. I'm waiting for the tow guy. And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm stuck too. <laughs> I'm stuck too back there." And so we were talking about that for a bit, and then. We just kind of shared eye contact, and it was obvious he couldn't help me. I couldn't help me, so it was just a waiting game. I said, all right, man, you know, it was nice talking to you. Hope you enjoy nature. And he, he just shook, it head, shook his head and was like, oh, man, I got two fucking doobies. My brother's coming up in the morning. I'm spending the night here. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a good time. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. 
<laughs> so I just sat with that for a bit. Just sat with that guy's goodness for a bit. And that was it. Then then my main man came. His name was Jeremy. Jeremy pulled me right out. We shot the shit for a while. Uh, he was just telling me about the, the best snowmobiling tracks in the area. He was asking me what the hell I was doing. Uh, talking about the best places to hike. All the snow they've been getting. Jeremy was just a, a damn good fella. And Jeremy, if you hear this, man, I appreciate you. I'm so grateful that you're out there in the world right now. And I hope you're taking it easy. I hope you're at home, cuddled up with a blanket and a good book. Just getting it on. Getting on with life. So yeah, I was so happy that entire time. And I finally got out of there and I hit the road at Olive Garden for dinner. And I appreciated every single moment of that day, of that trial. I never really once felt like I was pressed. Oh... And I spent some good time with Mother Nature. So thank you. I hope you enjoyed that story. <laughs> Here's my chat with two lovely, lovely folks, Grace and Melissa. And again, check out Pen15 if you haven't already. Take care. It's starting to get real frigid around here. Yeah. I think it snowed in Chicago within the past couple of days. That's crazy. It's still so hot. It's like 85 out here in LA. <laughs> Everything's on fire. <laughs> it's crazy. All right, we were recording. So everything you say from here on out is on the record. Okay. <laughs> How's your day been? What have you been up to? How are you feeling? Well, I I feel good. I got up not that long ago because I'm in L.A., so it's yeah, 9 yeah. o'clock here. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> and I am excited to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling quite similarly. I've, I've been up for a minute, but <laughs> Yeah, it's I'm noon too. where you are. So I guess we can talk about the Thong episode since it's what's uh, on everybody's mind this morning. Do you want to tell me a bit about the process of designing that mess uh, about what pin 15 wait what'd you say the the thong episode oh the thong episode um i love that episode andy d young directed it um i just find it so funny and relatable <laughs> and a tad bit sad but i remember like I remember reading that script and having, like, one of my own memories come to mind where I, like, bought this, what I thought was a really cool outfit from Hot Topic, and it was, like, these, like, plaid pants with, like, these loops in them, and I thought I looked so punk and so cool, and (laughs) I remember showing up to seventh grade wearing it and I was so excited 
Because, like, my mom, it took, like, so much convincing for my mom to buy it for me, but mm. she, like, finally did, and it was, like, kind of expensive, you know? Yeah. And I, like, was so desperate to fit into, like, the, like, skater crew in junior high, and and I remember there was, like, this one kind of, like, queen bee girl named Sam, and she told me that I looked like a poser in front of everyone, oh, no. and I was just completely devastated and heartbroken <laughs> and embarrassed, and I never wore that outfit after that, but I remember, like, the confidence that I had, like, strutting into junior high wearing that, and it's very similar to, like, the confidence that Maya and Anna had wearing the thong. <laughs> And, you know, I think that's, like, such a cool kind of, like, if you if you have that confidence in life and, like, have that, you know, within you and it shouldn't be, like, an object that you put on or whatever, but, you know, like, life, like, moving through the world with some kind of, like, you know, center of, like, confidence, you know, it, it's, it just helps I feel like kind of push you to like where you want to be but I love I just love that episode I find it so funny <laughs> I hear you the, the more I'm watching the show the more I'm recognizing how many little things that happen then that form the self-esteem that you have today and the way that you feel in groups of people because so much of the show is just like funny because you're it's so it's like cute and naive in a way like oh my gosh look how anxious they are about this situation that doesn't need that much anxiety but it just shows mm -hmm. that like that that persists as you get older in just like less less intense ways and I, th I think it captures that so well definitely and I think like you know we all have that younger version of ourselves still living inside of us mm -hmm. so you know like you think of all of the small things that you are so concerned and worried about in junior high like wearing a dumb outfit to school and <laughs> someone calling you out in front of everyone and, and it just feeling like your world is over you know but like there's still like part of you that lives from that era of like you know wanting to be like accepted and like fit in and you know like it doesn't it doesn't go away it just gets like easier to like kind of like cope and deal with <laughs> i think <laughs> yeah and it's just like kids are so ruthless <laughs> like oh so they mean. just shit on each other like <laughs> without even blinking an eye like for you to be called a poser like <laughs> is so wild just right was, to your face I'm, I mean, and I was, like, I was completely devastated. This girl was so mean to me, and I, like, did everything that I could to be nice to her, to, like, try to win her over, and she just never liked me. And, well, you know, instead of just being like, well, fuck her, I'm gonna, like, live my best life, do my seventh grade thing, whatever, you know, it's just... In, in that time, in that moment, uh -huh. you know, at that age, it's it's a really hard thing to recognize and do. Do you remember what shirt you had or any, were there any accessories with oh, that yeah, outfit? I remember. It was a um, handmade wife beater <laughs> that I Sharpie punk onto. <laughs> what? attached a bunch of safety pins. 
I mean, I thought it looked like hot shit. I really did. I was so stoked on this outfit. <laughs> I don't know if there's any, like, like not to defend the girl who bullied you. But... <laughs> I mean, you can defend her. It's a totally absurd outfit. But, like, I don't, cool. there's no... There's no other way to be a poser than to literally write, like, what, <laughs> like, the thing that you're trying to be to write it on your clothes. <laughs> wow. So true. Did you skate? Did you try to skate or, or what? Oh, my God. I could, like, stand on a board and, like, go down a hill, you know, like a baby hill, but I couldn't. I think I, like, ollied, like, twice in my life and that was it. That's as far as my skating went. Were there boots or, like, any... I picture, like, combat boots. Did you go oh, for it or no? I mean, honest, I don't remember my shoes, but honestly, they're probably, like, my tennis shoes. Like, <laughs> the one that did not go with the outfit at all. <laughs> That's something I remember being young is, like... Like, now I pay attention to shoes really closely because I usually just have two or three pairs that I wear all the time. But mm-hmm. then it was, like, it doesn't matter what the shoes are. They can just be Nikes from <laughs> whatever... As, oh, long, yeah. as long as up top, I, it's all good. I, yeah, I feel like I'm all about comfort now, especially, like, being on set. I'm always on the search of, like, the perfect set shoe, and they're usually, <laughs> like, a Nike. You know, I have, like, Air Maxes and, like, my Nike running shoes that mm-hmm. I just wear constantly on set. I don't even try to wear anything else. Mm-hmm. Wow. So did you... Did you switch lanes after the poser incident? Like, what was the... Oh, no. I That was, like, my group, <laughs> whether they accepted me or not. I was <laughs> totally in love with the skateboarding community and, like, just the culture of it. And, you know, like, in, in high school, there I, like, grew up with uh, this, like, skate shop called RQ uh-huh. and the guy who ran it his name was Shaq and he was this really <laughs> cool guy um like and he just like wanted everyone to feel accepted there so he he really made like an effort to like make anyone that came through the shop and it was like kind of the after school hangout spot mm-hmm. you know and he just like really created a home and community for like kids like me who didn't who kind of felt like an outsider Mm -hmm. um and he's just like such a lovely guy that's beautiful yeah what would you guys do at the skate shop just talk skate hang out and talk talk punk music it was like in the downtown of our like town area so you Mm. could like walk and get ice cream or like hang out at barnes and noble but like that was like definitely the (laughs) meetup spot that sounds punk as hell <laughs> i mean yeah i poser i don't know i was pretty punk back then Barnes and noble and ice cream <laughs> oh man so tell me about the production design for that episode or really in any episode i like i've been sitting here trying to think of what to ask you but like every scene i'm just so i've spent so much time watching the show just watching the background and all of the photos on the walls and everything that I'm just like I'm just floored by it well so for season one um we had 
zero money. Like our budget was so tiny. Uh-huh. And my best friend who is also like my partner and she's the set decorator of Pen15, mm-hmm. we are both around the same age as uh, Maya and Anna and like grew up in this time. So we had so much fun, like location scouting, trying to find the perfect uh, like locations for these sets and like creating and building this environment for Maya and Anna, but also like that whole community in town. And Mm -hmm. it was just a constant trip down memory lane and having like remembering all of these like details and doing like research of you know like different like fad like toys and shit Mm -hmm. like that and um we we really like once we found Maya's house it was kind of like a unique house that has a lot of texture and, um, you know, like there's wallpaper, there's wood wainscoting, there's like a lot of charm to this house mm-hmm. and it feels very like stuck in a time, but like classic and her, we, we picked her room and it had this like wonderful wallpaper that we really wanted to embrace. And, you know, Maya's family isn't as you know, wealthy as some of, like, the kids that she goes to school with, Mm -hmm. you know, um, her mom is a stay-at-home mom, her dad is a a musician that tours, and so, like, we were like, okay, what ways can, would Maya's family be thrifty, and, you know, like, we just created her world by, like, being like, well, what if her brother, like, her furniture is a hand-me-down of, like, her brother's old Mm bedroom furniture and she makes it her own by like painting parts of it like purple and like decorating it with stickers and um you know like it was kind of like this mix of I think when you're in junior high at that age you still have a lot of relics and design pieces of um like when you were in elementary school and more like Mm. juvenile but you're trying to like be more grown up than you (laughs) are and like kind of establish who you are as a individual and so that's I think why a lot of girls that age cut up magazines and put it all over their walls like I definitely did (laughs) um and you know like hot guys like for me like Leonardo DiCaprio was like the boy I wanted to see on my wall after like Titanic (laughs) you know that was like my like sexual awakening and I just I had pictures of him everywhere and um yeah and then there was just all these like little details where I remembered like my sister had this like blue beaded dolphin lamp that she bought at Walgreens and I thought that was so cool growing up and I loved it and I had to find it. So, you know, I searched eBay. I ended up finding it, and that's wow. in Maya's room. And I think Allie and I had, like, a lot of fun mm-hmm. just, like, remembering all these bits and pieces and, like, trying to, like, bring that to the screen. And then, you know, for Anna's room, like, her sponge painting, like, painted walls <laughs> w- 
was something that like I did in my like childhood because I was obsessed with the show Trading Spaces and for <laughs> some reason they were always like sponge painting the walls which is so weird and like such a funny like you know fad at that at that like time and so like you know Maya or Anna's got that and then she's got like kind of like I feel like her parents indulge her with gifts when they feel guilty about maybe missing like her recital or whatever it is when they're not like always present so that's why she's got like the cool clear phone and like the tv with a vcr in it which was so awesome to have at that age at Mm -hmm. that time you know that was like definitely (laughs) a rare thing and then, like, the cloud um, blankets yeah, and yeah. curtains is, like, a print that I absolutely love that my sister had. <laughs> and, you know, like, we, we just, like, had so much fun just remembering all these things and recreating them. And then, um, you know, have you watched season two at all or are you not yeah. there yet? Yes, I have. So for season two, we had more of a budget. Yeah, man, and... like the play. I'm I'm really excited to talk about the play because that episode like oh. blew me away with everything that was going on. I yeah, I love I love that episode. I love those two episodes. But mm-hmm. um, for like season two, we had way more of a budget, so we had the luxury to build sets on stages and. Um, we wanted to build sets that would make our shooting schedule as efficient as possible and give us as much time to shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, so we ended up building the the classroom, um, my and Anna's room, and um, we built some like other swing sets, like Maura's basement, and you know, like. Uh, some other sets that you won't see until season two part Mm -hmm. b plays but so um, sorry to interrupt you how much from the first season was like built sets as opposed to actual locations the the first season's all locations wow and then the second season i think looks pretty seamless you can't really tell no you can't that they're rooms in the classroom is like now built but you did you keep using any of the locations from season one season one so like we went back to um their houses Uh and like everything was shot practically of their their houses except for their bedrooms Mm -hmm. their bedrooms were, were all shot out on the stage and then we shot um we went back to the school and did you know, like the hallways, the exteriors, stuff like that. Um, but the classroom was built, like Mr. O's classroom <laughs> was built, and then it was transformed into the performing arts classroom. And the way we did it to like utilize the space that we had on the stage is um, we just built one classroom, and then for the performing arts classroom, we had these built-ins on the back wall that we moved in and like plugged that back wall and then redid the decorations 
put some like film over the windows and um you know just try to like change it up Mm -hmm. so yeah and I I really like I had like an amazing art director at Alexandra Landsberg who um was just amazing at helping me build all of these uh, beautiful like set pieces and you know like she she really did an incredible job of like making sure all of the details of like the sets were there from the original location like we had real metal grates over like the windows of like the classroom and you know like Mm -hmm. everything looked exactly like the real location can you tell me more about like that relationship like what you do what kind of communication goes on between you and the art director and then like how they go about so it depends on you know how big your show is and um kind of like what your budget is sometimes I wear many hats and sometimes I Mm -hmm. act more like a facilitator and like collaborator. Mm -hmm. So my job as a production designer is to kind of oversee my whole department and create the look and tone of a specific project. And I work usually very directly with like the DP and the director to collaborate and create this look and then you know like I create I pull a lot of like mood boards together like samples of things Mm. and I pass that along to um, my set decorator who will like go out and source all of everything you see in a set whether it's um, you know a sofa window treatment Mm -hmm. electronics like appliances light fixtures like rugs any anything you physically see in a set the set decorator like sources and shops Mm. that all out and then for my art director like um for alexandra she she worked very closely with our construction coordinator and our construction crew to help like build these sets um and she she was really good at um facilitating that while while I I had to like go on a director scout or like go check in on our set decorator so you know you have you have a lot of different everyone's working simultaneously and like you know like our prop master is sourcing anything that like an actor has in their hand that they touch whether it's like a bicycle Mm -hmm. or their glasses or a watch or you know like a cup of water um and like my job is to facilitate and work with my team about finding the right pieces and um just pulling together the overall look and making mm. it cohesive mm. i've i've just done my first film in the end of august and i was a production designer technically but it was like very 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 small like Mm-hmm. So I did all of the things you just described. And so I wanted to hear like what a more uh, open network sort of sounds like. Yeah. And I've definitely like been a production designer on a film or on a project where I'm also like the prop 
Scout Master uh-huh. and, you know, the set decorator and the set dresser, you know, yeah. it, like each project just depends on like how large your crew is, how big of a scope the project is. Um, but yeah, a lot of times you're wearing many different hats. <laughs> how did you and Allie get to work together at this point? Um, so Allie, I met through, <laughs> she, I, she's my best friend, so I love talking about her, but <laughs> Allie and I met through, uh, mutual, mutual friends. I think my boyfriend at the time, uh, kind of knew like her social uh, crew and I mm-hmm. met her casually at I think like a couple like you know like at a barbecue and at, at her house <laughs> once and a barbecue. I I found her I was like oh that girl's annoying and she was like oh <laughs> that girl's such a bitch and then, <laughs> you know like six months later I see her like I knew she did art department and I see her like pulling out of a prop house when we were both like still new to the game uh-huh. and I had a job coming up and I was like you know what I should like hit her up to see if she wants to do this job with me and we did this job together for I think it was like a month or two and we just fell in love and <laughs> uh, connected mm. and uh, just we have like a really good shorthand with one another. We have mm-hmm. similar aesthetics like that are different, but we still really appreciate and like love what each other like bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And she's just like such a dream to work with. And I am such like a dream to like know in real life. And um, we've been working together, I would say for like the past six years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, she's truly my partner in all of this and uh, just is just is so talented, one of the hardest workers I know, and uh, it's really incredible. There's so much love that comes from you and that comes from, like, the show in general, and you can feel it, like, like just the way you described her and you can just feel the passion that exists in the show. Like there's so much genuine love surrounding it. I feel like it's very rare to get a project like pin 15 where you connect so much to the material. And, um, and like, this was a total dream job for me. Like I, I love what I do always. And I feel so lucky that I have the choice to, do the job that I do and but like pin 15 is just a project that is so Mm. near and dear to my heart and so relatable to me um and you know like it it's truly so much fun and the whole crew is just amazing and beautiful and have like the best attitude you know like the Mm. The show was not easy to make season one or season two, and there was like a lot of hardships that we had to overcome. But I think just it's such a testament to all of the people of the crew that made that show the what it is today. Because there's so much. I think everyone shared the same kind of love that I have for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're you're really participatory in the sense that like not only are you sourcing and like creating the the environment but you like you said identify so personally with so much of it that it's 
it seems like it's a, a much bigger story being told than just the actors or just the the writers. And I think that's why, like, so many people relate to it is because, like, everyone has their own poser story, you know? <laughs> like, everyone yeah. has their own, like, whatever the episode is, like, I feel like there there's a, such universal themes that people really identify with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I especially appreciate the the views on the parents as well because there's it's not just the relationships between the children like we were just talking about like the sort of naive problems but the very real issues of parents separating or just being around adults that are themselves unhappy and yeah it was it was really and moving to me because when i first saw like the trailer for the show whenever it was i was just not I wasn't super interested for whatever reason. I just kind of felt it was going to be, I made an assumption, but I just, I it felt it was going to be more like a sketch show for some reason, like mm -hmm. a comedy central sketch show that was, and especially because of the name, I just assumed it was going to be, I don't know, immature or some, some strange word that doesn't apply. And then I just like, as soon as it started dealing with legitimate issues and there were these longer shots that were emotional and asking you to like, not laugh. I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah, it's it's really heart-wrenching in, in some moments, you know? Like, um, I just, I think that sh the show, I think the show on the surface, you know, if people aren't familiar with it, yeah, it can kind of come off like a, it's like a sketch show, but it's mm -hmm. really not. Oh, no. Um, it's like a beautiful narrative piece, and I think... You know, I think comedies are the hardest genre to make, you know, I think... Why do you think that? I I think, I don't, I think it's just really hard to make something funny. It's kind of easy to make something dramatic, mm -hmm. you know, or it's easier to make something you, scary or like a horror film. Yeah. But comedy is so personal and, you know, like everyone's got different taste and, and what makes them laugh and I just think you know it can fall so flat or it can um just age mm -hmm. like quickly and I always I've always been attracted to comedy especially like dark comedy and you know like I've always really like identified with that um like growing up you know in like cult classic films and I I never like you see comedy all the time and like the genre itself like so many tv shows and movies look like a flat sitcom design aesthetic wise yeah and i just have never understood that it's always bothered me so much <laughs> where i'm like you can make a comedy look good you know <laughs> like you can make the sets and locations look beautiful and real and it doesn't have to look like this weird glossy sunshine mm -hmm. like sitcom you know and that's kind of been my goal in my career to because I do love working on offbeat dark comedies and I just want to like elevate the look I mean you worked on uh short term 12 right mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Do you think that falls into... The, I mean, I, f- I feel like that movie's got a lot more drama in it, but there definitely is the sort of, like, underlying soul, the underlying, like, humor that exists in the yeah. show. Yeah. I think it has, it's like, comic relief moments, but I wouldn't call it, like, a comedy or even, like, a dark comedy. But uh-huh. I think that that movie has, like, a very, like... uh real aesthetic to it almost like a documentarian like aesthetic Mm. um and even like the way it's shot like it's shot mostly the handheld you know it it just feels like a slice of life type movie yeah and i really appreciate um like how it examines the relationships outside of the the place in which they all work i I remember Mm -hmm. feeling really moved by that and showing yeah. like their homes and and how they live and like I remember the the bedrooms were simpler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How'd you get to work on that? Um, I worked that was when I was pretty new to LA. I met the production designer on that movie, Rachel Myers, mm-hmm. and uh she was gearing up to do this feature and that was like another feature that had no money it was definitely uh you know a love project and she asked me if I wanted to do it um and I said yes of course and you know like that that was definitely I think I'm like credited as the art director on that but that was definitely a movie where I was also the set decorator, the, mm-hmm. like, shopper, the set dresser. <laughs> you know, I wore a lot of hats because the crew, it was a way more intimate crew. Yeah. And um, it was all possible because most of the location, most of it was shot on one location. Um, and, yeah, it was a really, I, you know, like, I, it was before, like, most of the, like, a lot of the actors uh, in that movie, like, blew up, you know, after, Um, and I, like, when we were making it, you know, I didn't know (laughs) a lot of of their work, you know, but I'm glad so many of them had, have, are having, like, such successful careers and are, Mm -hmm. like, thriving, you know? Yeah. How'd you get into production design in the first place what's your path um well i i always loved movies and i would always kind of just watch the background and paid attention to sets and i loved the kind of mood and emotion it could like emote and um i just i always really identified with that and I think you know growing up in a suburb of Chicago where it felt very vanilla and boring mm-hmm. I um you know I, I struggled with feeling like an outsider and I discovered so many amazing movies early on in you know junior high high school like all like John Waters and like Suspiria mm. and Harold and Maud and you know like all yeah. these really amazing beautiful films that made me feel like the world was way bigger than my little world and mm-hmm. I just felt like you know my people are out there 
I just like need to find them. Mm -hmm. And so I graduated high school early and I went to, um, college. I went to like Columbia for a little bit in Chicago Mm -hmm. and I studied interior design, um, knowing that I wanted to be a production designer, but not, there weren't really like that many production designer kind of like courses and I couldn't really find a major of it. So I was like, Mm -hmm. interior design is like close enough. I can like use that (laughs) to figure out how to become a production designer and got my bachelor's in that. Um, and my mom, God bless her. She's a flight attendant or she, she just retired, but she was a flight attendant and she was doing Chicago to LA a lot. And so she would have industry people on and she, found this one producer that was like hey are you looking for like an intern or anything and (laughs) I worked on a really bad B movie uh, (laughs) one summer for like an internship and I worked for free and I I was in Grand Rapids Michigan actually and I just totally fell in love with it and I was like this is what I want to do this is where I feel like I belong and um you know, like that was my end. And I, so mm-hmm. I had one more semester I left a school to finish and I finished that and then moved to LA. Wow. And once you got to LA, what'd you do? I <laughs> barely survived. <laughs> I, um, worked for free a lot. I worked on, you know, as a PA, I just, I reached out to as many different people as possible. I looked on Craigslist under like gigs work all the time. I stayed in contact with like the people that I worked with. And then, you know, like I was lucky that I had like a safety net with like, you know, if I couldn't pay rent that month, like my parents could help me out. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, after a year things, I started making, you know, more sustainable, like, work connections and then I just started working all the time and I think you know like if you have a good attitude if you work hard um you know like I think you can find like a a good crew of people you can fit into you know Mm -hmm. and work consistently do you think that's a situation now that you've kind of found the the group of people and you'll you'll stay with them I think I mean everything you know, nothing in life is forever, you know, I think there's going to be transition periods and, Mm. um, changes, and, like, even now, Allie, you know, who's been my partner for six years, she's studying for law school, and, you know, she, she just took the LSATs, and I'm extremely proud of her, and, uh, she's always, had a passion for you know civil justice and has always been active in local politics and you know I think she's she's gonna go to law school within like the next year and you Mm. know like I'm so happy and proud of her but now you know like I'll be in a transitional yeah point and that's just you know like that's part of life and it's inevitable and I think you just have to like embrace those moments and kind of jump full in. I hear you. You you have a really beautiful way of explaining that. 
Thank you. Mm-hmm. As someone who uh, feels the same way and sees production design as my eventual place, do you have any advice on top of everything you just said? I think, I think like the more people you can work under, uh, you know, like work, I would reach out to different designers and try to work with as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of the industry, you know, we work so long, you know, we work often 12 to like 18 hour days Mm -hmm. and it's draining. So uh, if you can make like have a good attitude and (laughs) you know, like people are, that just makes the day go by so much faster and easier. Um, and I think you just really have to like embrace all of the uncertainty and, um, you know, like really focus on honing in on your skills and your communication with people is super important. Mm. Um, but yeah, you know, like just, just do your homework and and <laughs> reach out like try to meet as many people as possible and you know like and you'll find you'll find your fit eventually but i think it's really important to work under you know a lot of different people and you learn different styles and mm-hmm. stuff thank you but that's exciting <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, sort of the intention of the podcast in a roundabout way. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like you're already doing your homework. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking to you. Do you got? Do you do you need help with anything? <laughs> I might. I mean, this is a weird freaking year, right? Work is very up in the air right now. But yeah. hit me up if you come out to LA. Absolutely, I will. Do you meditate, Grace? That's a. I know it's an off question, but. I'm, I, don't i like i want to i'm not i'm not a patient person i'm trying to work on my patience and it's something that i've been working on for like the last five years but i i run a lot and i Mm. I, that's meditation that's meditation for sure i think yeah i think that's my form of meditation but i can't just like sit and turn my brain off it's really hard for me to do but if i move my body then Mm. i feel like my thoughts kind of slip away and and I get to that place yeah I hear that do you meditate yes I do daily that's awesome very much very much so and I think once you um once you can sit still then everything becomes meditation all the things that you do because the the silence that you get while you're sitting just kind of persists so even if things get even if there's commotion on the outside or people are getting whatever sort of way that the calm inside your head is still just kind of going. And I think, I mean, that's the point of like mantras and that sort of thing is just maintaining that feeling despite where you are, despite what's going on on the outside. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's, it kind of helps with your reactions to things. Like I learn if I, you know, like try to like slow down and, and, and keep that stillness inside of me. I'm not so reactive to Mm -hmm. exterior things around me or people, you know, and I think that's really important. Yeah. 
That, that's the truth of the matter. Things are things are really quite calm if you just watch without judging or without labeling or getting caught up in the kookiness. This is a pretty it's... kooky time right now, I would say. <laughs> Super have you seen what's going on? Time. <laughs> have you noticed Scary. anything in the news? Or <laughs> oh my god! And it's and Halloween it's tomorrow. Tuesday. Wow! And tomorrow's the spookiest day of the year. Well, I, the second spookiest and, day of the year, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very spooky. Do you have any Halloween plans? I don't. I'm gonna hang out with my boyfriend and hopefully watch a fun scary movie and just mm. relax do you have any movies in mind i don't i mean he's been wanting to watch the exorcist which i absolutely love it's such a good film mm. um he just got house on uh on blu-ray uh, and i love that that movie which which it's one so funny the japanese one the, the J- japanese one yeah that one yeah wow yeah. I watched that, that, I think, this year for the first time. I don't think I've ever in, felt more joy watching any movie. I was just absolutely oh, blown away every second. I couldn't fucking believe treat. what I was watching. It's such a treat. It's so fun. Um, like, I, I feel it's so funny because there's so many horror films that made me want to become a production designer. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and it's like House, Suspiria, The Shining, you know, like there's so many beautiful, amazing horror films, and I'm I don't really like horror that much, mm-hmm. but they're like, I mean, there's so many great ones. Yeah. Oh. How's your day been? Mm-hmm. are the big studio jobs so it kind of 
sucks for right now. I feel like there's not really much mid-ground, but at least there's still a way to work. Mm -hmm. How much do you think it's going to affect things once potentially we're back to whatever normal is? Because I've, I've talked to a few people who sort of predict that a lot is going to change in terms of um, resources being used, like even in the future once testing and everything isn't as necessary. Do you think there's going to be any drastic sort of permanent changes? I mean, I honestly, I'm a little sad. I wish there were going to be more drastic permanent changes. I think that working, I, I think that luckily the job I'm on now it is kept to 10-hour days, uh-huh. but a lot of jobs already are doing, you know, 14, 16-hour days, and that's the biggest thing with running down the crew and compromising their immune system. I've, I've never, I mean, obviously I'm not a producer, I've never quite understood how paying a crew double overtime for half the work, so essentially you're getting a quarter of the productivity, is ever worth it, but I, I honestly think that it's because locations have continued to influx mm-hmm. as far as how much they cost, and the crew being paid hasn't kept up with the same inflation and we're just not worth as much as the locations are which is why you see so many more shows cross-boarding now and so on it's shooting out shooting out the most expensive things so your a-list actors and your location mm-hmm. and i think that there's such a disparity between the crew and the locations i think that this is you know kind of the what we have to pay to do all that and it's sad i mean even you know i know andy was the one who recommended me to you uh, mm-hmm. to have a chat but even with 1015 i mean we were cross-boarding and we could have had six episodes in the can but instead we have nothing because we owe a few scenes that we only had a week left to work but we owe a few scenes on every episode wow so i hope that producers will start taking that into consideration but honestly i I think that, I mean, God, I hope that this is the only chance that we're going to get to rewrite this industry. (laughs) I hope that we don't have another pandemic or some other global Mm -hmm. disaster. But I, I, this is our chance to rewrite it adequately. And I was really hopeful with the white pages. Um, (laughs) But it's not protocol. It's a suggestion. And already so many so many producers are not heeding that suggestion. Hmm. I just spoke with Andy yesterday, actually. Also. Oh yeah. How yeah. It was delightful. We. <laughs> what's funny is we didn't talk about Pin Fifteen at all. <laughs> we never. We never did get around to it, but we had some really thoughtful and peaceful and loving conversation. It was an absolute treat. Every time I speak with him, it's a total joy. And yeah, no, it's nice to have someone, but there's so many more things to talk about rather than just <laughs> the show that we're on together. I mean, I feel like we always go in, so I'm down so many different paths with mm-hmm. every conversation. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say now more than ever, the handful of interviews I've done since the pandemic started, it's definitely the least amount of discussion about the work at hand. It just seems that a lot of people are more interested in talking about their well-being and like what you've already started talking about more like the situations that we're in and the actual 
like environment that we're working in more so than the project. And it's just, especially, yeah. especially interviewing around like the time of the election and stuff, it gets strange. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it gets strange saying like, Hey, you know, what project did you work on or whatever? And, and really they're like, well, I'm not really thinking about that. I'm, I'm thinking about democracy and the health of the nation or whatever it is. Well, but. that was the other thing coming out here to Georgia. I mean, I was, I came out here early October Mm. And I was really excited to see how many Biden signs there were. And I'm working outside of Atlanta, about 45 minutes outside. But even in the sticks, I rarely saw any Trump posters or anything. And I, it made wow. me really hopeful. But then at the same time, you know, sweating out the results of an election for a week <laughs> straight was just intense as anything. But I was I'm so happy. I mean, I... I really was loving Georgia already, because <laughs> I live between I live between LA and uh, New Orleans and go back and forth, uh-huh. and it was really nice to be in yet another progressive southern mm-hmm. city, and I'm really falling in love with it out here. Especially, you know, it's just nice to see fall colors again. Yeah, it's yeah, a very charmed feeling mm-hmm. to this city and the surrounding areas right now. I was just telling Andy, I was actually on my own taking a trip, because I'm in Michigan right now, and I traveled to uh, West Virginia by myself in the beginning of the month to stay in a little cabin. And this was, I, I left I left Friday morning of election week, and so it still hadn't been decided. And the place I was staying at, there was zero service, so I like... Like once I went into oh, my vacation, well. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even realize it until like it was a couple weeks out that I was like, wow. And then I had no idea it was going to take so long to to determine, you know, the re- the results. But I remember I I had gotten to West Virginia, and also it was you know Trump territory in West Virginia. I was going through deep hills and oh, yeah, like <laughs> it was really interesting because I was just thinking I had already sort of had the the last thing that I knew is that it was like kind of looking like Biden was going to get it. Like most states had already flipped and it was like, okay, this, this is going, you know, in that direction. So I just kept seeing all these Trump signs and I was like, man, like, I wonder how long that's going to last. Like how long are these signs going to be up out here? And it, yeah, it was just, it was really interesting, the energy in the air and then going into my vacation, not knowing, not being on my phone. So well, that's what my, my husband ended up, because I was already out here, and he ended up riding his motorcycle. He went up the Pacific Coast Highway, and he was mm. like, this way, I'm just going to take the week, I'm just going to go <laughs> ride, and I can't look at my phone. And I'm like, that's a genius move. I actually, it, I wasn't supposed to start working yet. I actually had that week off, mm. and I was like, look, you guys, I'm here, I'm already tested, I'd rather not be like crying by myself in the same <laughs> position, rocking, please give me something to do, can I just come in and distract myself, and, uh, you know, it was, I, I luckily was working, so I wasn't constantly checking in with things, but, you know, every night coming home, there was that terror, and my, my father's actually a bookie, so he... Mm. <laughs> Runs numbers on quite a gambit of different things, but I yeah. found myself calling him up. It's like, yeah, <laughs> when was the last time we talked every day for a week straight? Because <laughs> I just like he was like, don't worry, like this is gonna flip, 
Yeah, it was it was really weird to see how close it was. Like, I mean, it's it's obvious the you know, the the goodness won overall, but it's like, wow, man. We got that it's, many people who are still It's really heartbreaking to be like, "Oh, but half of this country still thinks that It's it's strange and and the thing that I've noticed is like regardless of who's running or who's winning or whatever like the country's divided that's very obvious and that's so that's like the most that's the scariest thing is like wow what a what a yeah. what a weird situation to see literally half of the country is in complete disrespect and disopinion and This year was just such a crescendo of bullshit. <laughs> um, That's a really good way to put it. <laughs> I mean, God damn. But, I mean, but even the years leading up to it, I, you know, like, so many people not trusting women and their experience or not trusting the black experience. And still, like, just the way it's conceptualized and someone's had to be like, oh, well, you know, my life matters too, or... I, I wasn't handed a, you know, silver platter. It's like, no one's saying that. <laughs> These are the qualifiers that we're talking about. But I think that, you know, to be hopeful, I think that there are a lot of people that I their eyes have opened during all of this. Mm. Um, you know, like, I'm lucky. My parents have always been very liberal. And, mm-hmm. But, like, even just talking with, you know, more distant realms of my family like you know just checking in with people and being like you know it's really crazy like my aunt uh, talking about she's like it it was so skewed what we were brought up being told and learning and this was in New Jersey like (laughs) you know like and it's like no like we understood a little bit of what was going on but like the full spectrum of madness that is now being fully unveiled by people being able to film this police brutality it's like it's just it's heartbreaking but it's also like I think that a lot of people have been able to actually see what's going on but it is crazy to think that still half of the US doesn't give a fuck no, and it's it's based on, like, the silliest, like, <laughs> it's so hard to, you know, declare any one school of thought is wrong, because it's not that clear cut, but, like, the arguments, the th- I think the best way to put it is that, like, the things that have become most apparent to me in my young age, and seemingly the country in terms of, like, rights, is, like, the things we're arguing for 
aren't political issues, whether it's health, public health with the pandemic, whether it's civil rights with black equality, what like everything's become politicized. That's the thing is like, it's like, why? Yeah. They're not political issues. Like they're not, (laughs) we're just asking that we treat each other decently. (laughs) Like That's it. And the fact that any of that can just be run away with, you know, I mean, and that's what happens when the leader is able to turn anything, no matter what it is, into just, oh, well, that's fake, or that's an attempt to do this, or, oh, well, oh, so you hate police. Like, uh, you know, it's just, you realize you're just talking to a wall after a while, and yeah, that's the yeah, strangest thing to me. That, I think the big thing, too, is, cause, and it's also hard, like, because <laughs> I know that, I mean, God knows I'm a Jersey Italian. I can get very worked up about things. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that it's a big thing, too. Like, the same thing with, like, okay, well, we can't be, you know, sensationalizing things the same way Fox News does. I try to just, like, keep an even keel and, like, come from a place where I don't sound like I already have an agenda and bias when I'm talking. That way it's, like, okay, let's just calmly <laughs> circumnavigate just what this conversation is and settle on basic decency and good, yeah. and then we agree there and then move forward from that. Mm-hmm. That's but, usually yeah, the easiest route is, like, so much of what the past four years have been have been openly and unapologetically led on divisiveness and wanting there to be division opposition and a lack of unity like that's been the that's been the calling card and i think that's the easiest simplest thing to point to in terms of like what is it that we're trying to accomplish because i mean like the phrase make liberals cry again like something like that that i've i haven't even heard that one okay so yeah that's that's a sign that i see in my community a lot that's something that i saw in michigan where you are now yes Yes, I've seen I've seen that sign many times, and like there's a video of, um, it's, it was a rally, and Donald Trump's son said that into the microphone next to Donald Trump, and like the crowd went wild, like, and you know that none of that's important, but it's just the fact that like something like that can be, like you're you're running on, nothing but hatred and division, you know, and it it works for a minute, but it just, it doesn't have the legs, you know, there's too much ego there, Wild. it's just not, and, and but that's the good news, is, you know, it, like I said, like, that's, that falls away pretty quickly, like, because you, you're not going right. to feel good, you're not going to feel good hating people, and I've, I've seen my friends and their families fight more than they've ever fought in this presidency, and that's because it's worked on both sides, you know, it's yeah. not, not only that it's enabled Trump supporters to feel whatever type of way based on what he says, but he also wins when people say "fuck Donald Trump" or he wins when somebody says "I hate," you know. Exactly. And that's that's the it's, next step is to even see that that's still not the way, man. Like, it, there's no way. Exactly. That's yeah. Well, even just like when he won, I was because like my whole neighborhood I'm staying in College Park so uh-huh. just outside of Atlanta where Outcast is from <laughs> it's a great part of the city and it's like all of a sudden every single person in my neighborhood just went outside and got in their car and started honking their horns I'm like woo and then <laughs> just, 
everyone going around and I went for a little drive myself and just waving and cheering with strangers. Wow. Yeah, it's, I think that focusing on that and like, you know, even, you know, everyone like blaring, like, you know, there's some people like blaring the fuck Donald Trump song and I mean, I'm down, but also (laughs) like, there was just like a bunch of like happy, like inspirational music being blared from cars and like, you know, it's just, I think that it's. I think that it needs to be celebrated and not still like <laughs> driven, to, like you know, blasting points with anger. But it was hard too because now you know, with him, thank God, losing all these different lawsuits yeah. across the U.S. But it's just like when <laughs> when do we exhale? <laughs> I know, dude. He like he does not want to relent. <laughs> I know. Mm. But I, I do, I mean, I feel like there's finally hope again. Um, I feel like, you know, just politically within our nation, I do feel like there's going to be possibility to bridge this. I do think that it's going to, re- and I, you know what's, what's so hard is that it's going to require people, like different corporations being mandated. I don't think that we should be able to get so political. Like, I don't... Fox News needs to have fact-checking. Facebook <laughs> needs to have fact-checking. Mm. Instagram. But also, CSNBC has gotten a little too polarized, <laughs> too. We need to reel it in. Because we can't fight an argument if we're still doing the same thing. Right, right. And we're guilty as well. Mm-hmm. I think that... But also, you know, in order to regulate things like that, I feel like as soon as something gets put in play, Democrats get so close to winning something and then it gets shut down because, you know, Republicans don't want things to be overregulated. And I'm very hopeful with the election in Georgia and winning back the Senate and just having a chance to actually gain footing because I feel like it's just been this ongoing chess game for so long and mm-hmm. it's time that we all deserve true progress <laughs> and back to the film industry too I do you know I, I don't want to be too um, down about the situation I do wish that there was greater progress that things were being taken a little more seriously in general but I do see you know the possibility for really good things to come from this. Like, just the fact that, you know, we used to get casting last minute and they'd shoot the next day and it's like, okay, well, if you're going to cast the day before, then when the hell do I get sizes? When do I (laughs) shop this? When do I get the time to do my job? (laughs) And at least now, you know, they have to cast them a few days ahead of time so they can get tested. So I actually get a chance to communicate with an actor and discuss what their look's going to be and collaborate with them on what that character is Mm -hmm. and actually execute it. Now, granted, you know, we're talking more shopping than full bills. They're still not buying us enough time to do (laughs) a massive superhero bill. But there are wins with this. Mm -hmm. And there are really... There's this whole industry and life in general needed to take a beat and I'm glad that we got the chance to do that and I hope that 
getting that allows us to remember how things should operate. You shouldn't be so stressed out of your mind because snapping. <laughs> like, we're mm-hmm. all in this together. We just need to have a little more respect all around. Yeah. And maybe not be so underslept that it's not a job and it's a social experiment. <laughs> Let your crew sleep, damn it. <laughs> yeah. It's a deep a deep breath if I mean that's that's an interesting phrase, but that's what it feels like in, in many ways, is a deep breath. Yeah. Just a lot of sitting. So do you, you work in the film industry as well? I am actually in film school at present, hoping to work in the film oh, industry, awesome. looking to work in the film industry. I just uh, I just worked on my first film this summer, actually. It was a small budget, but it was the first time I'd ever actually been on set and done something. And I did uh, production design, and so that's what I'm oh, hoping to go amazing. into. That's what I'm hoping to go into. I hope so too. I, I spoke with Grace the other day. Um, oh my God, Grace is amazing. Grace's whole team is amazing. Like, 1015, we, it was magic because <laughs> of everyone that was working on it. It sounds like it. Like, the, the energy is really there of just similar interests, similar carefree nature. I mean, carefree in, in the best way. Like, just. Right. And it shows in well, the. Have you guys discussed how long you think it's going to go on for? Um, the girls, the creators have discussed it. I know that right now we're just trying to get back to work so we can finish that. <laughs> they call, call it season three, they call it season two B. I'm not even sure what we're calling it anymore, <laughs> but right now that's the main concern. Mm-hmm. Man. How do you think distribution is going to look like next year? Because like, it's already so strange this year. So do you think like there's going to be more expensive budgets, like films coming out or projects, and then just a lack of the smaller ones? I'm, I'm so sorry. I missed the first part of the question. About 10, 15 alone or about everything in general? Just in general, like... Like in term in terms of distribution across the whole, like because of how different it's been without theaters and without like sort of more indie projects coming out, and based on what you said with with budgets and working it's environments. Definitely funny. Um, I think that 
I think that there's going to be a lot of low budget things that come out that get that streaming mm. channels, Netflix, Hulu, and everything pay top dollar for because there is such a shortage. Yeah. I mean, even if you look at the, who they're talking about for the Oscars this year, it is a pretty far different caliber than any other year I've experienced. Um, <laughs> and granted, we still have some things waiting to release, but there's a lot of stuff that's pushing its release because it can't get back the money it spent mm-hmm. doing the doing a streaming release. That's so weird that the industry is built in that way that it's like a debt payer. <laughs> it's, yeah, I, I definitely, I'm realizing more and more, especially this year, that I need to get a greater understanding of the financials of this industry. <laughs> yeah. Because there are just so many things that I'm like, excuse me, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how did you how did you come to do your job? How did you get here? Um. Well, my grandmother taught me how to sew when I was in fourth grade. Wow. And so I always like she taught me pattern making, and I it was always something that I enjoyed doing. And then I think you know I I wasn't really sure. I actually wanted to study genetics um Mm. and I was definitely more like of a math and science girl and I which I think is kind of why I do love doing patterns it's like just my mind gravitates toward geometry and that kind of you know visualization of things but um I went and did like a summer program right between high school and college and uh, mm-hmm. I went I was like luckily like got this experience I went to got to Boston for the summer and got to shadow a bunch of different doctors and whatnot and then my parents came up, up to pick me up at the end of the summer and I was just like I don't know if this is for me I don't know <laughs> if I can commit to like you know four years of college four years of med school and be a fellowship <laughs> yeah 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 like and they were like, oh, good, we, we couldn't really ever see you in a lab coat anyway. <laughs> so, uh, so then it was just kind of like, okay, well, this is what I enjoy, so I guess I'll just keep on going in that direction. And um, I, like, out of college, I worked for several theater companies. I worked for William Ivy Long, who is, like, a four-time Tony-winning costume designer. He's incredible. Wow. But um, I got burnt out. Theater definitely burnt me out because we'd go in every day and do all the mending or do the alterations or, mm-hmm. you know, start working on the next costume. And then we'd be there all night during the performance. And then we'd do the last one because we had to mark all of the things that had to be mended the next day and wash them and do all the cleaning and whatnot. And um, it was non-union and the pay was dog food. <laughs> So I was like, maybe this isn't for me. So then I uh, came out to L.A. and wanted to do anything but theater. And, uh, and so I worked, I worked a forklift in a holistic 
<laughs> what? And ran money from and ran money from bookies. I ran money from my dad's friends in <laughs> LA and Vegas for a while. And I was just gonna ask how you made money in LA. I did not expect any of that. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty random, but I just like did not want anything to do. Also, I think that I was a little young and pretentious and was like, Oh, I can make costumes. I'm not here to be a stylist, so I'm not gonna get into this film world and um, How old were you at this point? Uh, like twenty two. Gotcha. Yeah, young and cocky. <laughs> um, and then I finally ended up sort of, I finally was like, okay, this is enough bullshitting around. I guess it's time to at least like go in the direction of what I paid money to go to school for. <laughs> First of all, I'm still paying off student loans. Maybe I should like try this a little harder. Yeah. So I ended up doing, uh, I did apparel. I worked for Eco Clothing Company for a few years. Mm. And, um, it was great. It taught me a lot, especially now that I'm, you know, now that I have the clothing line, the the the, um, the collaboration is based off ten fifteen. Mm-hmm. So I have the uh, yeah. What's going on with that? Up. Sorry to interrupt, but what's the current yeah. status of that? Well, so what happened? We were already the girls. Like the first day we shot that pool scene, we're like, oh my god, we're obsessed with these bathing suits. Uh-huh. We had to custom make those because I had to put, I had to build in the compression and mm. you know figure out styles because just because you're smashing down their bust doesn't mean it doesn't go somewhere. So mm-hmm. it, you know you move down the bottom or it comes out the armpit. So I had to design something that knowing even though they're compressed where we needed to cheat it to make it look as flat as possible. And then also we needed multiples to go in and out of the water. So Mm. we made those and everyone was in love with them. And the girls were (laughs) like, we need to do a clothing line. So I told them, I was like, well, I've done this before. And like, I've done like licensing deals because I've worked with Kevin Smith before and, you know, workaholics and stuff. But I didn't want to do a Pen15 merchandise line. I wanted to hit on the target that, you know, now that all these Y2K styles are resurrecting, because, you know, a few years ago, it was, you know, this resurgence of 90s aesthetic, Mm -hmm. and it's so cyclical, I mean, even just between season one and two, and what I was paying for things on eBay, I could see the influx, and it's like, okay, well, if we're going to do one, this will be the time to hit it, so I was talking with the girls about starting it, and then... I uh, put together a business plan for Hulu so that, you know, they could be pretty much funding it and (laughs) that way. And then COVID hit. Yeah. And it was like, okay, no one's putting out money for anything because (laughs) no one knows what's happening in this world. So then I also looked into licensing deals and whatnot. Um, But again, I didn't want the Pen15 and so I decided to just do it on my own because it gave me more freedom. Mm-hmm. And especially, you know, just with, there were already enough obstacles in the course with uh, trying to do this during COVID. So I started doing, you know, some of the patterns at my house. I started, like, fussing around with which pieces were my favorite from their closets that I wanted to recreate or kind of update. And then, you know, slowly my factory started opening up. And it also, it allowed me, because I had, you know, I think that if I had done it with the actual studio, 
they're looking more for, you know, how cheaply it can be done. And I wanted to do it in the U.S., first of all, because coronavirus brought it to light that we aren't sustainable doing things overseas anymore, and we have to be self-contained. Yeah. And then I also did it from all vintage fabrics, because I, I God, there's so much garbage in the world, it's time <laughs> to start reusing it. Yeah. So, I was, my friend who actually uh, helped me, we worked together so many times. He helped me with the ham on the first season and dead pack. <laughs> and he actually, you know, he worked on union jobs, but then he also started his own factory because he did more apparel. And so we did a small run. It was all using upcycled vintage and the factory that he started pays working wages. Um, and we're looking to flip that factory into the union also and just kind of bridge the gap between apparel and the film industry because there is this weird divide and it's really just about minimums and time frames so that's exciting uh, that is so exciting oh sorry i was just saying that's exciting it's fun it's also fun too because like I didn't, I mean, I didn't want to commit to a Y2K aesthetic for the rest of my career. Anyway. <laughs> so now I just did a small run of things, like 50 to 100 pieces of each. Yeah. And when they sell out, that's it. And when they sell out, I'll be on to the next show. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I made it a bigger thing rather than just the club Y2K collection. I made it um, under Land That Look so that that way I can be releasing a small specialized line to be a companion line with everything that I design. And this way I also can bring it to the design guild because, I mean, the costume design guild, first of all, you know, we're still fighting for pay equity with every other union because we're seen as women's work and we are, Mm. the disparity between our unions and what every other rate is on set is pretty insane. So they're still fighting very hard for pay equity. And, yeah, it's, I, it's really antiquated, but it's still happening. Um, and, yeah, so I just figured, you know, this way, and it's not only that, but a lot of times costume designers are then cut out of the back end and don't receive any compensation for their designs when they're then put into mass production. Wow. So I wanted to, now that I have, now that I put so much work into the business plan model if we want to do a partnership, the licensing deal, or just doing uh, inspired by companion line, I figured I can at least bring it to the design guild and help other designers figure out a way to monetize the back end of their work. Mm. And this allows it to be kind of a bigger umbrella tree to house and inspire more people to do it. Because I think that, you know, it's it's a different time. It's not hard to, you know, make the clothing. I think what I'm learning now is I had all the resources. I had all, you know, what I needed, the marketing, you know, I, I, I was luckily, I got a lot of publicity off of the first and second season and Mm -hmm. was able to parlay that into publicity for the line. And now that's kind of like, you know, petered out now, teaching myself marketing and figuring out that end of it that's the bigger hurdle because it's so time consuming yeah and you know usually we don't have the time to do that follow-through because we go on to the next job so i figure if i can get that up and running then it'll be a little more seamless and people it won't feel so daunting for people to be like 
oh, now I have to come up with a, you know, mm-hmm. rollout on Instagram and whatnot, <laughs> which, I mean, even just coming out to Atlanta, I haven't posted since Halloween because I've been working, and yeah. it's easy for it to get away from you, so I'm going to take this next week and try to get, get the reins back and figure out how to keep on moving forward and make it something that's going to last. Absolutely. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Well, I'd, I'd love to assist in any way if you if you ever have something small you need help with on social media. I've definitely done a little bit of that. would be amazing. And that. that was what I was talking with Grace, too, because Grace was like, I want, because, you know, everyone was just sitting around doing nothing during Christmas. If you want to get involved, that'd be amazing. Mm-hmm. But it was hard because so many places were shut down. Mm-hmm. And also, I think it's hard, too, because I didn't have the licensing agreement for 1015, so so mm. many of the things that she was hoping to make, I, I can do, you know, there's no there's no intellectual property on patterns unless they're yeah. patented. So, but, you know, anything that she would want to do would be, you know, 1015, like a 1015 backpack or 1015 pencil case or something mm-hmm. was too related to the show to... It just wasn't really working to stand on the sound. But, mm-hmm. And also, again, it allowed me to figure out the kinks with a very finite experiment on my own and now figure out, now take the next year between now and season three releasing and figure out how to make that grow and how to bring in production designers or, you know, other, how mm-hmm. to work with it and you know, have more fun with my friends. <laughs> Essentially. <laughs> Good for you, man. I'm I'm really excited to see where it goes. I'll definitely be paying attention. I, all right, now the pressure's on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's all it's all based on what I think. 